Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Today, we are continuing our two-part series on Disciple the Generations, and after that, we're going to move back to the book of Thessalonians. It's really great to be back in Bukit Panjang, and I really have fond memories of all the time I've been here before me and my family moved to Woodlands Centre in 2008. So, to disciple the generations, it means that we are to disciple them, and we want to have kingdom-minded disciple-makers reproduce across generations. This is what Pastor Kai and some others shared in our January series. So he went through the series on Disciple Generations, Disciple Singapore, Disciple the Nations. And during his January sermon, Pastor Kai shared, at the heart of discipling the nations is really to pass on the God's blessing of the faith. And that's what Pastor Anne shared about last week, isn't it? A viral faith that you are meant to pass on. Pastor Kai also shared about the how of discipling the generations, and it's through connecting through relationships. And today, this is what we are going to be exploring. We are going to be exploring what are the vital relationships in a vital village that we need in order to pass the faith on. People who know me know I really like to cook. Okay, so one of the things that I really love is Taiwanese beef noodles. Okay, I know some of you are longing, really longing to go to Taiwan and have a bowl of that. So I love Hong Shao Niu Rou Mian. Okay, and I've tried many recipes over the years and I got to a point where I think I've tinkered enough that I've perfected the recipe. So I was so proud of myself that day when I finished that pot of Hong Shao Niu Rou Mian and then I served it to my family. And everyone knows who cooks at home. Ah. If you don't pass a kid's test, it's not a keeper. Okay, so I served it to everyone and then my kids took a sip and then one of them said, Mommy, this is so good. It tastes just like instant noodles. <laughs> Apparently, according to my kids, perfection is instant noodles. So this perfect Hong Shao Niu Rou Mian, to me, um, will go into my collection of family recipes that I want to pass down to them. So there's things like my chocolate cake, my butter cake, my ngohiang, my garlic chili sauce. Maybe I should talk a bit less about food just before lunch. Okay, I'll do that. I'll be kind to you all. So I have all these recipes that I want to collate and I want to hand down to my kids. And we've all heard of matriarchs of the kitchen who have you know, who don't guard their secrets jealously, they don't pass it on to their daughters or their daughters-in-law and the secrets of the kitchens die with them. I think it's a real pity because heritage recipes are meant to be passed down. Because heritage at its heart is not about passing down something that's old and outdated. Heritage is about passing down something that's worth passing down. So heritage recipes are recipes that are so good, they need to be safeguarded, preserved, and passed on so that future generations can taste of their goodness. Am I right? So today we're going to be looking at what's really worthy of passing on. And that's what we're looking at in the book of 2 Timothy this morning. This is Paul's last letter as he's in prison and he's writing to his beloved spiritual son, Timothy. And if he knows that it might be the last letter he might ever write, we better pay attention because these are critical words that he is passing down. 
So what does he say to Timothy? What does Timothy need to pass down? And Paul says to him, save God, pass on the faith. Save God and pass on the faith because this faith is so glorious, so worthy to pass down from generation to generation that Paul and Timothy have given their lives and are giving their lives to minister to people this faith so that it can continue to perpetuate and to be passed down generation after generation. But also in this letter, we see that Timothy might be in danger of giving up despite this wonderful heritage. And truth be told, Timothy is going through a really hard time. He has already endured a lot of opposition in his church at Ephesus where he's ministering. There are tough times, tough people, and there's a lot of false teaching, and people are probably challenging his authority and his teaching. And what's more, his spiritual father is now in prison. So enduring the shame of that is becoming more and more difficult. He's beginning to feel ashamed of Paul and the gospel. And with all these things coming at him like an onslaught, the passionate but young Timothy probably feels very tired, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Maybe that's a word you can identify with yourself today. What's happening in our world today? A recent survey showed that three quarters of NUS students are at risk of depression due to the pandemic and all the isolation that they have been through as a result of all the restrictions. Many of us are still languishing emotionally. On a physical level, I think many of us know colleagues, friends, family members who are going through COVID. I'm still trying to get over a lingering cough that I have when I had it a few weeks ago. And then, of course, there is the stuff that's dominating the headlines, the war in Ukraine. Honestly, it still feels very surreal, isn't it? That a full-scale land war is happening in our day and age in Europe. And we're beginning to see the knock-on effects on our economy globally. All these on top of our personal challenges, whether on the home front or the work front, ministry front, it can feel overwhelming. So today, if you're feeling alone, isolated, tired, overwhelmed, and you're on the verge of giving up. I have good news for you today. God wants to strengthen you. God wants to strengthen your faith, and He is going to do this by the community of a vital village, a vital village that will strengthen your faith through faithful generations, and that is reproducing spirit-vitalized generations. So would you close your eyes, even as we turn to God in prayer right now, as we dive into God's Word? Father, we ask for eyes that see you. We ask for ears that hear your voice. And we ask for hearts that are tender, open, and repentant, so that we may obey you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you turn with me in your Bibles now to 2 Timothy chapter 1? We will be reading from verse 1 to 5. So if you open your physical Bible, whether it's your physical or your electronic Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. I'll be reading from the ESV version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. If you have a picture of a very hungry and a willing disciple that you want to pour your life into, what would that look like? I think it would look a lot like Timothy. Paul commends Timothy for his faith and is a genuine and sincere faith. And this is the reason that Paul gives thanks to God. So what does a genuine faith look like? Paul describes it as it dwells in them. So it is a faith that exists not just in the head, but it grips the heart and it moves our hands and feet. And genuine faith is lived out. It is lived out because we've experienced the goodness and the reality of God in our lives that we cannot help but to pass it on. So how did Timothy arrive at this quality of faith? I believe that it needs a spiritual village, a larger community doing this together. Did you know that the year 2022 is the year of celebrating Singapore families? I found that out this week. So even as a society, we know that strong families are at the core of community. And why is this so? There is a sociological reason. You see, strong families continue to be the bedrock of our society. Strong families also nurture resilient individuals who do well for themselves and their families, and who eventually, we hope, give back to the community. This is a virtuous cycle that we want to perpetuate and preserve. And this is what uh, the Minister for Social and Family Development said in a parliamentary debate just a few days ago, Masago Sukilfi. And from a sociological viewpoint, there is a virtuous cycle when we impart faith together in a community, in a larger community, in a larger spiritual village. And there are two parts to this village. The first is the biological family, and the second is the spiritual family. And both interact with each other, they impact one another, and vice versa. So let's talk a little bit about the biological family first. Paul tells us that the genuine faith that exists in Timothy comes from his grandmother and his mother, and this faith is lived out and passed on. So in our own families, whether you are a grandparent, whether you're a parent, whether you're an auntie, uncle, or older cousin, we have a responsibility to steward the faith of the next generations and to pass it on. That is clear. I think we do not need to tell you more what is our responsibility. But the question is, how then do we do it? How do we pass on the faith? If you go to any Christian parenting website, they'll give you a lot of suggestions. They'll say you need to train up your child in his character, or maybe talk to your child about what's happening in the world. How do you bridge that to his world? You had to talk about you know, how to have family altars, family devotions, train them in the word and to pass it on. So all these are really, really good things to do. So let me share with you what I have personally done. So one of the things that I find helpful um, for teaching the Word is when you go through the Bible storybooks of them. So I really like the series by The Gospel Project, and I find that it's helpful because it's age-appropriate, and at the end, they always point the kids back to the Gospel story. Um, for primary school-age kids, I have tried um, some very simple, quite fun, inductive Bible studies, basically to answer questions and colour in them. Um, this is the precept series, Discover for Yourself. 
And for older ones, um, I'm trying out scripture journals with some of them. And this scripture journal is essentially the Bible, and there are blank pages and line pages that you can write your reflection and your thoughts and your questions about the scripture passage that you've just read. So these are all things that you can try. And what is important is you need to try and experiment and see what works for you. The key thing is pick something that is sustainable, that you can do faithfully and consistently to pass on the faith. Okay? Try something, as long as you sustain it, as long as you keep at it, you are passing it on. And all these things are good things, good suggestions and good methods, but they are still methods and expressions of passing on the faith. I think for it to be most helpful, I find it personally most helpful to distill down the essence of passing on the faith. And for me, a simple framework by Pastor Edmund Chan really encapsulates it really well. And some of you might be familiar with this. It's to know or discover the truth, apply the truth, reap the benefits, and pass it on. We know the truth. We want to discover the truth. The truth is really important. We must teach the truth. We must pass on the truth, which is why we emphasize on devotions and imparting a love of God's word to them. But knowing the truth, discovering the truth, doesn't change your life. It is truth applied that changes life. It's when you apply the truth that it changes you, and therefore you share. You reap the benefits of a changed life, and then you share and pass on the benefits of a changed life. Let me give you a worked example, okay? Like maths. So, if the truth is God is faithful, that's what you discover, that's what you know, and then you apply it. I trust that God who is faithful will sustain me through my crisis. Then you reap the benefits. I grow in trust when I see his faithfulness, when I see and experience his faithfulness. And then I pass it on. I share and pass on the reality of God's faithfulness in my life. And we keep on doing that. That's how we grow kingdom-minded disciple-makers who will reproduce across generations. If we keep passing this on down to our next generation, and encourage our next generation to keep passing it on. But truth be told, this is still a tiny bit conceptual. How does it look like in real life? Let me share with you a story that might illustrate how the transforming power of God's truth can be passed on down generations. Right now, I have my 81-year-old mother-in-law living with me, um, and we have not seen her for two years because she lives in Australia. And when we invited her to come live with us after we could finally get through all the travel restrictions because of COVID, we knew that it wouldn't be easy because she has mild dementia and mobility issues. But we felt prompted to do so, and we brought her over. And actually, the first few weeks were quite manageable. And we were having a really blessed time. She was really enjoying her time spending time with the grandchildren. Until there was a series of health events that caused a severe decline. So within the space of three weeks, she, had, she was hospitalized for a head wound. And in the hospital, she was found to have a UTI, and later on COVID. But Within the same period, unknown to us at that time, she was also having an ongoing stroke event. So in the space of six weeks, I now have a vastly different mother-in-law who has rapidly declined, acutely declined, and her 
dementia has gotten quite bad and she is disoriented and confused a lot of the time. So for me, there is a lot to adjust to. For my family, there's a lot to adjust to, the 24-7 caregiving challenge. And those of you with elderly parents or those of you with um, family members with acute and special needs know how challenging it is 24-7. But there's also my own grief to process, to see such an acute decline. It is something that is difficult for me to process emotionally. But in the midst of all of this, when my family is literally surviving day by day, there's one extremely bright spark. And that is worship. You see, for my mother-in-law, her spirit comes alive when she worships. When we play her the YouTube worship videos, she raises her hands. She raises her hands and she worships. And when she sings her favorite song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. My mother-in-law is still my spiritual hero. She is still my spiritual hero because she lives such a life of faith. And this faith that I've seen in her all these 21 years that I've been married in her family, I still see today because it's something that is deep within her. And I have been having honest conversations with my children and one of them asked me, honestly, is it still worth living in this kind of state? And then I replied, look at how grandma is worshipping. Look at how alive her spirit is when she worships. This tells me that as humans, we are much more than our mental faculties. As humans, we are mind, body and spirit, and the spirit is absolutely in communion with God, in worship, and the spirit is alive. And that is at the core of her humanity. That is at the core of her humanity. And friends, this is how my mother-in-law is still passing on her faith to me. This is how... Grandma is still passing on her faith to her grandchildren because she lives such a life of faith. It is so real and it's so deep, it's so genuine in her spirit that it just comes out when she worships. So that's how we make truth real to our children. When we faithfully apply the truth and live it out, inhabit it, then they can see and catch the reality of God in our lives. And that's the best way to faithfully pass on the faith to the next generation. So that's the first part of the equation, the biological family. And the second part is the spiritual family. You know, from the accounts in Acts and other letters of Paul, we know that Paul nurtured and discipled Timothy. From the time that Timothy was a young believer, Paul has invested time, prayers, and energies into this young man, so much so that Paul started bringing him along in his later missionary journeys. But you know, it's not a kind of spiritual relationship that is a one-way, hey, I tell you what to do, then you just do, okay? Kind of one-way spiritual download. This relationship is a relationship by, that's marked by constant prayer, a longing for close fellowship, by joy. It is clear that Paul didn't just pour out instructions, teachings, and knowledge. To Timothy. Paul poured himself 
into Timothy's life. He shared in his sorrows. He's constantly praying. He's filled with joy when Timothy grows and matures. That's what spiritual fathers do. They pour their lives out into their spiritual sons so that they will grow, so that they will mature, and then they will do likewise for people after them. But the thing is, this relationship, as wonderful as it is, even better, it is not a one-way street. In any relationship, it needs neutrality. A love, a commitment, a trust, accountability that is mutual. In fact, Timothy has been consistently been with Paul throughout his ministry. He, like Paul has been supporting him, he has been supporting Paul also, supporting Paul in his, in, through prayers, supporting Paul throughout his imprisonment. And we know in the text that some others have deserted Paul, but Timothy has stayed faithful because he's faithful and committed to the spiritual welfare of his spiritual father. So that's the beauty of such a spiritual relationship, a mutual trust, love, commitment, accountability, and faithfulness to one another, faithfully encouraging one another. And whether you're younger or you're older, you just encourage one another to keep passing on the truth. So here's a quick application question. Most of us think of spiritual relationships as investing downwards. But have we thought of investing upwards recently? While not all of us might be in a formal mentoring relationship, we all have leaders over us one way or another. It might be your CGL, it might be your ministry leaders, actually it also could be your child's DMK. And your pastors. And as much as they have poured out their lives to you into the CG every week, they also need our support and prayer in their own faith journey. Because no leader is perfect, because no human is perfect. But for any relationship to work, to thrive, there needs to be a mutual commitment to each other's welfare and growth. And truth be told, the Pauls in your lives may also be going through difficult spiritual journeys of their own. So this is what it means to be in a spiritual village. Whether you are young or old, whether you're married or whether you're single, whether you are middle-aged or whether you're a senior, we have a shared faith journey together and we need mutual encouragement. So this Lent, we are praying for the generations in our DJs. If you have Timothys in your life, step up and intensify in your prayers to them. But if you do not yet have Timothys, I would like you to think about and ask God for two names, for two Timothys, to God to bring them into your life. It could be people in your workplace, younger colleagues, it could be people in your extended CG, perhaps your CG mates' kids or their youths. It could also be people in your ministry, perhaps in your worship band. Ask God for two names, two Timothys that you can invest in. And you don't need to do a lot. Just begin to pray for them. Start a small prayer group together. And you do not need to do much more than to ask what's happening in your life, what's God saying? And then let's pray for one another so that we will keep the faith going. Here's another application. During this Lent, as we pray through the generations, would you also consider praying for the Pauls in your life? Pray for your CGLs. Encourage them. Pray for the other Pauls in your spiritual village, your children's DMKs. They also need encouragement because they're weekly investing into your children's lives week after week, and they need encouragement. Commit to praying for them. Commit to sending them a text to encourage them, to affirm them. 
so that together, in all our faith, we will also persevere like Paul. We need both the biological family and the spiritual family. And the faithful generations who are committed to strengthening each other. When we do that, the entire village gets stronger. And no matter who invests in, whether younger or older or the peers, the whole community grows stronger. So in a vital village, our faith, a genuine faith, really is strengthened through faithful generations and reproduces spirit vitalized generations. And there is another aspect of strengthening that we need to look at in the later part of this passage. And strengthening requires one more aspect of a spirit-filled and a spirit-vitalized life. So how, then, do we reproduce spirit-vitalized generations? We do that when we encourage each other and we point each other back through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We do that when we encourage each other to yield again to the work of the Holy Spirit. We will now look at verse 6 and 7 of the chapter. Let me read it for you. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So first question, here is the gift of God. But what is the gift of God? And there are at least three possibilities. The first possibility is that the gift of God is the authority that's given uh, when you hold a particular office, such as a pastor. The second possibility is spiritual gifts that's given by the Holy Spirit. And the third possibility, it could refer to the Holy Spirit himself. And I believe that in this text, in this context, it refers to the Holy Spirit because it is a singular gift, not gifts. It indwells. And the qualities of power, love, self-control seem to indicate the Holy Spirit. But then you have to ask a very interesting question here now. Doesn't Timothy have a genuine faith? He has, right? So a genuine faith, why does he need to rekindle the Holy Spirit deep within? Doesn't that already include the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit? It does. But the reality is that a genuine faith does not take place in a vacuum. A genuine faith takes place in the context of lives. It's forged in the context of our hearts and our lives and our life experiences, both good and bad. And oftentimes our hearts are sinful and oftentimes our lives are really messy. We fall into sin, we encounter setbacks. And no matter how genuine our faith is, our spiritual vitality can be dampened by sin and spiritual warfare. And this is why Paul reminds Timothy to fan into flame, and that the spirit in him is not a spirit of fear. And the meaning of fear here is not like being scared like of crocodiles and lizards and crocodiles and whatever else that you're scared of. The word has to do with lack of mental and moral strength. In other words, Timothy is now feeling really weak and fearful because of all that is coming against him. He's feeling weak and fearful, and so much so that he feels like shrinking back and giving up. So when we yield more to fear, when we give in more to sin, when we yield more to shame, rather than to the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are allowing our spiritual vitality to be dampened 
because we are allowing all these things, whether it's sin, whether it's fear, shame, to influence us, to control us, to master us, more than we're letting the Holy Spirit compel us, to move us, to prompt us, to lead us, to guide us. And when we do that, we are slowly edging the Holy Spirit out. And we make less and less room for the Holy Spirit's fire to be in our hearts and our lives. So what can we do to fan this into flame again? What can we do to fan the Holy Spirit into flame again? And the image that Paul uses is that of like, you know, those old school satay men, they fan the fire, the charcoal fire, and then the fire becomes ablaze. What can we do to set the fire ablaze again? I suggest we do it when we choose to actively yield to the Holy Spirit in the midst of all our temptations and our weaknesses. When I'm feeling overwhelmed and I'm tempted to escape to Netflix versus spending time with God, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. When a colleague plays politics, backstabs me, and I'm very tempted to do the same, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. When I'm angry, when I'm frustrated, I'm tempted to lash out, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I'm very tired, overwhelmed, I'm tempted to give up. To give up my ministry and say, let someone else do it. I've done enough. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I have four words that I use very often. And for people who play Wordle, these are not Wordle words. Okay, for people who don't play Wordle, it's okay. We have enough addictions in our lives. The four words that I use really often is Holy Spirit, help me. I pray these words very often. Holy Spirit, help me to forgive. Holy Spirit, help me to persevere. Holy Spirit, help me to surrender. And this is a difficult one. Holy Spirit, help me to really love. And this is what a spirit-enabled, spirit-filled, spirit-vitalized disciple looks like. One who is completely and totally reliant on the Holy Spirit to overcome all temptations, overcome all weakness, and who lives in the power of the Holy Spirit to have spiritual breakthroughs and to walk and to live in step with the Spirit. Let me share how that has played out in a life that I know very well. I have a domestic helper, and she has been working with me for, I think, close to 11 years. And sure, we have had our ups and downs. Everybody has their ups and downs. But since she has been placed by God into my sphere of influence, I decided very early on that it was my responsibility to steward her faith. And so I told her, God has placed you here for a reason. He has placed you here in Singapore for a reason. And if one day you grow and God calls you back to Philippines to be a missionary for him, to reach nations for him, I would celebrate and I would be so happy. I'll do everything I can to support you. So over the years, I have counseled her, I've encouraged her, I have spoken very honestly to her about inner life issues. I also make sure that she gets her day off so that she can attend the Filipino Fellowship in Covenant. And this fellowship has been so instrumental in discipling her and changing her life. And in her own words, she said, 
Before I come to Singapore, I half-half believe in Jesus. But after I'm here, after I live with this family, after I'm in this church, I've grown so much spiritually. So she has had significant milestones in which she experienced the power of the Spirit in her life. And one of this was at the Domestic Helper Breakthrough Weekend some years back. And she has carried baggages with her for a long time, especially from, and one of the things was from her old job back in the Middle East where she was exploited terribly. And she basically had to take care of three households by herself. She slept for three hours a day, every day for six years without a single day off. And at this weekend, the Holy Spirit met her and set her free and healed her heart. And as she chose to forgive these families for their abuse, I could see a significant difference in her countenance and in her spirit life from that day onwards. Many other milestones that she's had. But today, I can see that she has grown tremendously and she lives a spirit-vitalized life. So during this time of a mother-in-law's challenges, my helper has stepped up very admirably. And for all of us who have caregiving um, challenges at home, we know that the challenge is 24-7. But during this time, one of the things that has blessed my heart so much, so much, is my helper taking the initiative before bedtime to worship together with grandma to lead her in time of worship for 30 minutes before she goes to bed and to just worship together, singing songs of praise, singing songs of worship unto God. And after that, she reads a passage of scripture or plays the audio Bible. And then we all pray for grandma and put her to bed. I never asked her to do any of these things. She did it because she wants to bless grandma. She did it because she wants to strengthen grandma's faith during this time. And she has really grown as a disciple maker. Last December, she was asked to preach at the Filipino Fellowship gathering in Woodlands. And let me share with you what she preached to her fellow friends. And a lot of what she says is taken from Rick Warren, but I believe she has synthesized it and she truly believes and lives this out. So let me share that with you. God knows every time when you're going through trials and sufferings in life. That's an opportunity to share of how God worked in our life and made us stronger. Only God can turn mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, a victim into a victory. What God is bringing you through at this very moment will be the testimony that will bring someone else through. No mess, no message. If you give it to God, He transforms your test into a testimony, your mess into a message, and your misery into a ministry. Dwell upon the goodness of God, His grace, and His deep love for you. This is what compels us to share our testimony with others. Friends, this is what a spirit-transformed, spirit-filled, spirit-vitalized disciple looks like. And as a spiritual village together, I have invested the fellowship has invested. Different ones in the spiritual family have invested in her. And today we see a life that is transformed. And now she's passing on that same spirit-vitalized life to so many others. And I am reaping the benefits years later in very unexpected ways. 
She supports me in my ministry, I support her in hers. And today, as we faithfully invest into a spiritual village together, the village in turn will strengthen us. And by ourselves, we know that this is difficult, but we are not alone. We keep pointing each other back to the one who enables us, back to the one who empowers us, back to the one who vitalizes us, the Holy Spirit. So even as I invite the worship team to come and to minister us this song, Come Holy Spirit. Friends, I want to invite you to remember we have a call. We have a call to disciple the generations. We have a disciple-making call. We have been entrusted with the glorious gospel. We have been entrusted with the faith that is meant to be passed down from generation to generation. This is our responsibility. But many of us are feeling weak, inadequate, and tired. But today, God reminds us, I have given you the Holy Spirit. And even if you feel that it's been dampened, even when you feel that life has overwhelmed you, God says, I want to set it ablaze again. I want to set your spirit ablaze again. I want to light a fire in your heart again to burn for me and for his kingdom. So even as we sing this song, would you stretch forth your hands to God and ask for the Holy Spirit to come and overwhelm you afresh. been inside that's been dampened by sin, by spiritual warfare, by deception, by intimidation, he wants to say, I want to light that fire in you again. So people of God, if you want the Holy Spirit to come and fill you again, to set you ablaze so that your life will be a life that is vitalized by the Spirit, that you walk and live in step with the Spirit, would you raise your hands towards God right now? Raise your hands towards God right now. And Father, I pray for all these ones. Pour out your spirit afresh. Pour out your spirit afresh so that we might live a life that is so alive, 
we might live a life that is so abundant, we might live a life that is so spirit-filled and spirit-vitalized so that people will see that heaven indeed meets earth right here. Even in the midst of troubled times, we can see heaven in the midst of all of these sitting here, my brothers and sisters in Christ. So Father, we ask for the blessings of heaven to pour out over us right now so that we may be filled afresh, so that we may be empowered, we may be vitalized to fulfill our disciple-making call to win the world for Christ so that people may know that God is God and to Him be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.